2: T's and C's apply in South Wales, authorisation number tp
1: slash 01005.
3: Time to talk some Winter Olympics. She's only 20 years old, but the fearless nature Alice Robinson sends herself to the mountainside for her line of work, and her work make her brave beyond her years. The downhill skier nabbed her career best result of fourth in the Super G World Cup at St Mortis on the weekend. The competition was her first time ever skiing the run, making her fourth quite staggering. She's on the track to represent New Zealand at the Winter Olympics with distinction next year, and she's on the line right now. We really appreciate her giving up her time. Good morning, Alice. How are you?
0: Hi, guys. I'm good, thanks. How are you?
3: Good, thank you. Hey, congratulations on your success on the weekend. You must be really, really happy with how things are tracking towards February when The Beijing 2022 uh, Winter Olympics are are happening. You must be pretty happy with how things are tracking at the moment.
0: Yeah, it's super exciting. It was, yeah, a really good weekend to me. Just kind of, this is like getting into CCG, which is like my second discipline now. Um, And to get like a a fourth is amazing and it's um, really exciting and it's pretty cool kind of heading into Beijing with another fourth under under the belt a little bit more. So um, I'm pretty excited with the way it's heading. Still got a couple of months to go though, so I've just got to try and keep on
3: track. Can you give us a bit more of an understanding, the difference from the Super G and the Giant Slalom discipline? I know you do both now, and Super G is your new discipline. <laughs> Can you give us a little steer into what's the difference?
0: Yeah, so Giant Slalom, it's considered like a technical discipline, so the turns yep. are a lot closer together, you're not going as fast, it's a bit more about the technique, and then considered
3: like a speech so it's a lot she might Maybe have cut out she might, there have, is. she might have cut out over there in Switzerland. She's a busy girl, but mate have you seen those girls when they go down the hill? all those men like they are generating some g force and they are going from side to side they must have knees of steel the way they get horizontal to the ground you know getting all pretty much their shoulders are touching the, the the snow and just the ability just to get down there and oh just gives me sore patellas looking at it today but very very good at what they do
1: <laughs> our knees would be no good for that anyway bro But so she's from um she's from queenstown ellis as well so a long way from home for a 20 year old in this current climate mm. uh, on the road and with COVID and all that I guess she's sort of she's chasing her dream though. So, but be hopefully we'll get her back shortly. I'm just having a couple of issues trying to get a hold of her, such as life on the phone line when you're ringing all the way over there in Switzerland. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see if she's got a support network around her as well, mate. And um, you know, is, is she just travelling with on her own, or has she got her parents or uh, or friends with her as well? So it'd be it'd be good to chat to. Her. Um, hopefully we can get her back soon, but. Yeah, it is a fascinating sport, that's for sure. I think we might have Alice now. Is Hey, Alice, it's uh, it's Baz here now. I was just uh, talking about the fact that you're from Queenstown and you're a long way from home at, at a reasonably young age. You got a support network over there with you or are you just flying solo? Yeah,
0: no, I've got a pretty good support group over here. I have like um, a couple of my coaches, my physio and... My um, service guys, and like um, I kind of train with a group of other girls from different countries over here. So it's kind of like second home over here, just because I've been coming over here since I was like 15. So pretty used to it now. But yeah, it's always a bit hard, especially in times like these with COVID, being so far away. But um, kind of worth it when you're competing.
1: And, and I guess living your dream as well. Is this something you always wanted to wanted to do, and and you've just been at it from a young age?
0: Yeah, well I can I never really pictured myself being like a, a skier when I was little, little but I always wanted to do um sports. Like I always loved doing sports and um I guess when I started skiing, um and when I got a little bit older it was kinda just yeah, I decided that I wanted to do it and it just kinda it just kinda happened but it wasn't really like a it wasn't really what I planned on doing.
3: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Hey hey, tell us about um the the you're obviously from Queenstown, we're very lucky in New Zealand to have such good slopes, good terrain, good mountains to go skiing on. Are they pretty similar around the world? Like you're currently in Switzerland, you've just been at Saint Moritz. Are they pretty similar conditions? So you're able to adapt re- relatively quickly and, and you know getting a bit more of an understanding of the mountain. Are we got pretty good terrain here. Yeah, I mean Queenstown, it's got you know great
0: mountains and like Coronet Peak where I grew up skiing is really cool and it's a great mountain but I guess over here everything's just just a much larger scale (laughs) like you just kind of are driving anywhere in Switzerland and Italy and Austria and there's just ski lifts everywhere I guess that's kind of the main difference but in terms of like being able to train it the training in New Zealand's amazing to um, to get you kind of prepared for the World Cup circuit so it's really lucky that I get to train at home quite a lot.
3: Yeah, nice. I love Queen's Sound and Coronet. Yeah, I've tried to get my bad knees down there so ooh, I can get an understanding what what your body goes through. And mm-hmm. I can only imagine, I was telling bears before, what goes into to actually putting your body to be able to handle that? Um, you know, I was watching a couple of those races, like your knees, all the just everything all the things that are going through those knees like well, tell us a bit more about the training that goes in behind the scenes to be able to endure what goes through your bodies um during those downhill slopes quite
0: quite a lot of training, I guess like like in my pre season i try I have to do like
1: oh yelps, the goddess oh. again is
3: uh, Got goddess. Right, say, eh? paid the phone bill joe have you paid the phone bill joe <laughs> yeah i have yeah <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> uh we'll try and get her back we've lost her again but how are we yeah just fascinating eh? and we've got a such a good team um bears um alice Robinson, nico paulius who we, we actually spoke to nico a couple of months ago and he's if you haven't watched Nico, go watch him on YouTube. He is one of the crazy ones. <laughs> he does some crazy, crazy tricks uh, out there on the on the slopes. And um, so he's one of the ones to watch. And then Zoe Sadowski-Sinnett, she's really, really good. So we've got a really good squad that are potentially going to go to the Olympics and pick up another medal at our Winter Olympics. And, um, yeah, I was going to, yeah, we've got a really strong squad that's going to do great things, so. And she's part of that, sure. Alice Robinson. We're going to try and get her back online now. She's back there, is she, Joe? I don't think.
1: Hey, um. Oh yeah, there you go. Is back online. Now. Hey there, Alice. Hey there,
3: Alice. Okay, cool. Hey
0: Alice.
3: <laughs> hey Alice. <laughs> hey Alice sorry, back. we're just having a few. A few, te- a few technical difficulties over there. I don't. I think, I think Joey hasn't paid the phone bill, <laughs> so we'll have to sort him out afterwards. Um, but yeah, tell us about a bit about your training. That what goes in to to be able to give you so much success on the slopes.
0: Um, yeah, it's just a lot of like in the off season, it's just a lot in the gym, um, like kind of a variation between like strength training and cardio. So yeah, quite a lot of quite a lot of that, and then. We also just train a lot on snow because it's kind of hard. to Anything you do in the gym doesn't really replicate what you're doing on the slopes exactly, so just have to try and do a lot on, like, on the slopes. But, so, yeah, it's, it's a very, very difficult um, sport on the body, and there's a lot of, a lot of knees that don't that come out very battered and bruised for sure.
1: Oh. Alice, do you get a chance to have a bit of fun over there as well? And what is fun over there in, uh, in Switzerland with all, all the team?
0: Um, yeah, no, it's been, like, a good year. I mean, like, I was in North America for a bit, so we got to go to, like, New York for a few days uh, when we had a few days off, so it's kind of awesome just traveling around and getting to see some pretty cool places, so that's kind of what we're doing, but now our schedule's pretty pretty hectic until the Olympics are kind of competing, like, every weekend and every other weekday, so <laughs> it's not much time to do anything else, really. Um.
1: Oh, you're gonna to have to catch that up when you finish the Olympics. But anyway, hey, um, do you this is a bit of a, a golden era for snow sports with with all you all you the younger crew that's coming coming through and ready to rip into the Olympics?
0: Yeah, I think it's um it's really exciting time for snow sports. You know, with like Nico and Zoe so well um well, I and mean, then me kind of.
1: Oh well, and we might have to let Alice go there. It seems that the old the Alps win win out again. Hey, our our lack of ability on the slopes has come back to uh to bite us unfortunately. <laughs> is but we appreciate Alice joining us on Nizzi for breakfast, and she's doing wonderful things over there. And you ever head up the mountain, mate? No, mate. Um, it's a bit cold to be honest. I sort of like the hotter times. <laughs> um, and I guess because like. I was, I kind of got into cricket early, and you're never allowed mm-hmm. like with your contracts, you're never allowed to to do those. I'm sure it's the same in rugby. Um, yeah. So you had yeah. to sign your contracts. Out. I mean, you couldn't participate in those sports without um without some sort of ability at them. So I, I missed that boat. Um, I like the idea of mulled wine, but on the the whole sort of skiing and snowboarding thing i kind of miss that but i appreciate their the genius that they are though are you the same mm. with that mate like or do you get out and about
3: up um i was the same during during rugby we weren't allowed to play uh to go up the mountain so never went up the mountain Um, uh, but since i've retired yeah we've hit up we've hit it up a few times went up to coronet and um where alice is is that's her home track and yeah it's a great Great slalom, great slopes up there and, and got onto it. But my knees, because I retired because of my knee, my knee can't really handle it for a long period of time and mm. I have to take a, two, a few anti inflammatory. So I, I have a wee go, but it's cool for the kids. They really enjoy it and, and getting up there. But I was the same, mate, contract torn up if they knew I was going up the mountains. So too much to risk, mate, and had to wait till I retired.
1: Yeah, yeah no, true. Well, she, yeah, she's doing wonderful things, Alice, over there, and she was mentioning... Um, the young team as well that they've got and are starting to do some pretty awesome things on on the big stage so we wish them all the best and hope their preparations are good it's a shame we didn't get to say goodbye to ellis but we thank her for joining us on the show good queenstown girl yep. flying the flag overseas that's what we like to see and hopefully they have some success right we're going to keep moving along here on baz for breakfast we're going to change from the slopes of Switzerland, uh, maybe a little bit of rugby chat. We're going to talk about Joe Smith coming into the All Black Selection post and Grant Fox is, is leaving, which was a planned move, so it's not like he's replaced him. But Joe Smith mm. maybe bringing in some reinforcements. Maybe Ian Foster has listened to the people and he has decided he needs a little bit more expertise, a little bit more experience around him. Joe Smith is coming in. We're going to chat that after the break. A big thanks to Chemist Warehouse from us here at Baz Nizzi for breakfast. Great savings every day. <laughs> Let's chat this Joe Smith thing is. Uh, Grant Fox was always leaving his post as, as chief selector. Yeah. But in anyone's eyes, would they have seen someone of the caliber of Joe Smith coming in to take over?
3: Um, oh, I, don't, I don't think it was part of the original plan, but since Joe was kind of already committed to the, to the Blues and he's part of his own rugby, I think... It was always um, probably the most viable option. Um, why? Because we've seen what's unfolded over in Northern Hemisphere. Teams over there have, have kind of had the wool over the All Blacks as of late. Um, and and, the, and Joe was one of the first kind um, of co- vital parts to the cog of, of why Ireland had so much success, particularly in 2018, back-to-back wins and... Um, you know he has a real understanding. He knows what how the northern hemisphere teams, northern hemisphere teams, will approach the All Blacks. So I can see it as just only being a, a, an added bonus to to why um, Fozzie has got them in there. And um, the one thing why the northern hemisphere's teams have have kind of tr- troubled the All Blacks is, is the rush defence. I mean, the, yeah, the rush defence on, on the All Blacks' tact. You've seen as of late teams have got off of the line. They put so much pressure on the All Blacks, and the All Blacks haven't been able to uh, adapt and react to it. And Joe Smith, and particularly Andy Farrell, who Andy Farrell is the head coach of Ireland at the moment, were kind of the leaders, the ones that really started that transition for the All Blacks uh, being put under pressure and seeing them not being able to adapt and react. So Joe Smith is in New Zealand now. He, he was uh, Andy Farrell was head coach of Ireland. He was his understudy when Joe Smith was there. So he will have a real idea and a real understanding of what Andy Farrell's trying to do, particularly with Ireland. So he'll be able to share those insights with Ian Foster and um, a, and help Ian out. And not particularly just Ian, he could be able to help the understudies, the coaches, Brad Moores, if they still go down the lines with Brad Moores. They've got um, John Plumtree as well. Um, so for me, I love it. I love what it's about. It's only going to help the team. It's only going to help um, Fozzie. And you spoke about it, mate. I know um Louie's got a bit of audio that we're gonna play that you spoke about it a couple of weeks ago. And it's no it's not a bad thing. You're not you're not giving in. You spoke about it. you've been there, you're a leader, and how it can only help him, then we're gonna play that audio a bit now.
1: I think Ian Foster has to find a way to bring someone in who may not be one of his posse, may not be one of his circle of, of friends or trusts, but he needs to bring someone in who's got that steel and that ability be able to reignite the fire within some of those older boys and to put the fear of God up some of those younger boys as well to understand that their obligations as an all-black side is that they are to win 90 to 92% of their games because that's what the country expects of them and that's what they've bought into. So if I was in Ian Foster's position, and hey, maybe in the coming weeks or months we might find out and we might see it happen, but I would absolutely love if he brought in Someone like a Richie McCaw, whether it be him or someone with a bit of steel, someone who's, and they don't have to be there day in, day out. They bring them in, spark them up, and then they move on. Stephen mm-hmm. Fleming, remember, spent five days with the Black Caps environment on the cusp of the T20 World Cup. How vital could that contribution have been to their overall ability to travel through to the final? Little things like that. Fozzie, you're in the chair, my friend. If I, I don't know you, I've never met you, but if I was you, bring someone in who you may not necessarily like who you may just need.
3: Wow. Bez, you're on the board.
1: I wish I could pick horses like that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> 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 Mate, you were on the money. You were on the money. I was listening to every single word, and you are right on the money. And and and, and I want to ask the question, was this, was this an Ian Foster call, or was this a New Zealand rugby call? You know, that, that's that's well, kind of the. That was a question I was about to ask you. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> what do you think?
3: <laughs> oh man, I uh, I don't know. I don't know. I know. I'm fifty fifty, mate. I'm on, I don't know. I I actually don't know. I I, I know Smoldy, uh Fozzy. Smolty Fozzy would have been. He would have been right up for it. But then with him being in New Zealand, and what's what's happened over in in, in the India tour. I think New Zealand rugby has approached him and said, would you potentially be in line to help the Blacks?" Look, I don't know. We, we we have to get someone on and, and find out because would you, mate, if you're head coach, would you bring Joe Smith in if he was in New Zealand? If you're head coach, would you bite the bullet, put ego on the hook and say, yeah, I need some help here, bring him in?
1: Yeah, yeah I would if if it was a glaringly obvious um situation where you did need someone like that, absolutely mate mm. I, I don't think, you know, it's, it's not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of strength that you're mm. you're able to say that I don't know everything here and, and also players mate, they respond to a little bit of vulnerability they always do, they like to know that yep. their leader is in charge but they also not like to know that their leader is real and can be, and can also admit when things aren't necessarily um, flowing for them as well and they need a bit of a little bit of help and I think it's a, sh- a sign of strength. I'd hope that it was Ian Foster, not maybe imposed on him by New Zealand Rugby Union. I guess next, the next question, and the question I have for you is, is, is this the end of it, or do we need more resource? Do you see more changes being made to the, the leadership um, team within the All Blacks, the coaching structure, the assistant coaches, etc.? Do you see this as the final, the final play, or do you think there'll be more to come?
3: I think there'll be more to come. And we've had a text from Chris. He's asked, any word on the All Blacks review or New Zealand rugby above talking to the public? New Zealand rugby is as bad as America's Cup. We don't know. And and the review is currently going at the moment and it it won't be out until January, February. But I I think there'll be more to come from it. Um, If I'm completely honest, I I can potentially see um, a couple of changes there or thereabouts within the All Blacks environment. Um, And this is only the start with Joe Smith coming in. Yes, he's a selector, but whether he has more of an input than a selector does. We know what Grant Fox did. He was a selector, but he travelled to all the games. He didn't have too much input, but he was a selector. He, he had a big input on how the team was selected. Will Joe Smith have a bit more of a role than Grant Fox did? I think so.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, mate. And i would be foolish not to as well, and that is exactly what Costa mm. reckons. Great call with Smith, boys, makes sense. He's on the payroll. they would be fools not to use him. That is from Costa. Thank you very much, Costa. We want to hear from you guys as well. We're going to get off to the news in just a second. But at 7.40, roughly, we want to take your calls on the Kennards High phone line on this very subject. Joe Smith comes in. Has Ian Foster pulled this rain? New Zealand Rugby pulled the rain. Is this just the start, or is this the exact tonic that we need to be able to just transform the All Blacks to that 90 92%? win ratio that we expect from them. High demands, but that's what we expect from our All Blacks. They are the best team in the world and they have been for a long period of time. And that comes with the expectations. But we want to hear from you on the Kennard's high phone line. 0800
3: Speaking of money, there is plenty over in Abu Dhabi. And well, there's plenty being made from the F1 drivers as well. Lewis Hamlin, he's right up there, drives, flies his own jet. And well, Max Verstappen, after winning it, he'll have his own... Jet for his old family. So there you go. They were all up and about. It's time for our McCafe coffee catch-up, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of McCafe coffee being consumed in Abu Dhabi because 24 hours, four hours on, and there might be two sorts of hangovers for Red Bull and Mercedes following yesterday's Formula One climax. Max Verstappen was eventually crowned champion nearly five hours after the race, after two protests from Mercedes were eventually dismissed. They aren't keen to give up yet, though with an appeal of the decision likely. Chris Medlin was yesterday right in the heart of it in Abu Dhabi. He was in the media scrum. He have all the ins and outs of what's going on in the aftermath. And he's with us this morning. Thank you so much for joining us, Chris. I know you're a, a busy man. We appreciate you. You were outstanding on the show last week. So thanks very much. How's the heart rate, mate? How you going?
2: Well, I've got to admit. Sorry, firstly, because I said I'd try and join you guys about this time yesterday, and stuff got in the way. I, <laughs> I got a... invited by Craig David to go on a yacht, and I just had to take <laughs> him up on it. So, um, <laughs> no, it, it was it today. was crazy. It, it was it was an absolutely <laughs> crazy night. Um, and I was not on the yacht for any listeners that didn't listen last week. I have no idea what I'm on about. Um, yeah, I was uh, <laughs> flat out at the track trying to find out what was going to go on. We're trying to work out if the championship's going to be decided then and there. Uh, it kind of has, kind of hasn't been. Um, it's all a bit sad, really. Like, it's been an epic season. It's yeah. been crazy. It's been full of controversy. And then we're kind of working out essentially if a refereeing decision was right or not to then round it all off.
3: So... Do you think that the, the right decision was made so Mercedes, they had a valid point to be able to protest those two protests during the race? Are they? Is it valid or are they just being sore losers here and, and give us your bit more of an understanding of what you've seen over there being there?
2: So one of the protests wasn't valid. It was um, they tried to protest that Max Verstappen had overtaken Lewis Hamilton by on the safety car just before they restarted for the final yeah. lap and I mean he went like, you know, two inches ahead of him when he was alongside and they were crawling along. It was just cat and mouse games and, and there was no, they weren't racing. So that was nothing. And that got um, dismissed uh, rightly. But the the second one, yeah, I do think they have a valid argument. Um, I, I, the way you look at the rules, the way they've always been applied, uh, the way that race director Michael Massey has um, even explained in the past how they're applied, uh, were applied differently just to make sure we got one lap of racing and that it took place between Hamilton and Verstappen with nobody in between them. Um, and kind of disregarded everything that had gone on before in the race and how other rules have been used um, just to set it up for a finale. And really, um, that hurt Hamilton's chances and helped Verstappen's. Um, and the killer here is that you know, Verstappen is a massively worthy world champion and we should really be talking about how great he is um, and what a fantastic yeah. title it is that he's won. But sadly, because of the manner in which the final lap was created, uh, we're talking about something is completely out of his hands. He did nothing wrong. He drove brilliantly and overtook Hamilton to win the race. Hamilton did nothing wrong. He he led the race for the whole way through and then circumstances were created that put him on the back foot for the final lap. Um, neither driver's done anything wrong here. That's what's really frustrating, but I I think the way the uh, the regulations were interpreted or used um, was not particularly fair and it was more to create uh, the finish to the championship that um, most people were kind of hoping for.
3: So, yeah, that's what I'm kind of getting like because they're such big teams and, and from watching the Netflix area, you can get a bit more of an understanding of how big they are and what's behind the scenes. Do you feel like this is more of the team making these decisions, making these calls, and how are the drivers reacting to all this? How's Lewis Hamilton, how's Max Verstappen? Are they getting amongst the fights and the cat fights, or are they just sitting back and, and staying humble about it?
2: Yeah, they're both staying humble about it. It's, it's, um, it's down to the teams to protest things or kind of fight their corners. Um, but it, it's not that the teams made any bad decisions either. It's just that the, the cards yeah. that were dealt by um, the race director, essentially the referee, um, were a bit unfair. And um, the way I likened it is like, if you think of a, a game of soccer and, it, and one team's winning 2-0 comfortably and you just entered injury time and someone scores a free goal out of nowhere uh, to make it 2-1, that happens, that's sport, you know, it, it can happen. And suddenly you've got a grandstand finish that you know could go either way. But then it's like the referee decides, actually, um, that goal counts for two because I want more of this. We're going to have extra time um, just because it deserves it, really. Like the games you guys have played before have been brilliant. This one wasn't so good. So it just feels like the, the goalposts were moved slightly um, that the teams were racing to. Um, and, yeah, the two drivers have actually handled it very, very well. Lewis Hamilton was um, kind of very sportsmanlike on the podium afterwards. And when he briefly spoke and then... Just stayed away from the media, didn't speak to anyone and, and hid away while his team protested, um, which will be a team decision, not a Lewis decision. And then Verstappen celebrated. And then to be fair to him, what I really liked was he didn't let it get to him. He didn't let the fact that he had to wait for a couple of hours for it to be confirmed bother him. He was like, no, nah, you know, I, I feel we deserve this. I'm going to celebrate it anyway. Um, and then when it was confirmed last night, even though Mercedes have lodged an intention to appeal that there's 96 hours they've got to confirm that or withdraw it. So nothing would happen again last night. So when Verstappen got told it, uh, that the first two protests had been dismissed, he could go and celebrate it. And he partied long into the night. He uh, he said it was the early hours. He, he saw daylight before he went to bed. And we spoke to him today. He was struggling a bit. But uh, again, he spoke very well about Lewis and the way they pushed each other. And they, they both were very deserving champions. Uh, just the manner that it's been decided uh, wasn't really deserving. Uh, the, the championship mm. and the drivers themselves didn't deserve that. Mm.
1: Yeah, hey Chris, it's uh Baz here. Just carry on the Craig David theme. Um, could you hmm. could you fill me in on uh, on the protest? And do you think it would take seven days, or could you see Mercedes walking
2: away? Oh, three in there, good effort. Um, <laughs> you've, you've done me though, because now I'm struggling to find a fourth. Um I can, I can see Mercedes walking away. Uh, to be honest with you, um, I think. I think they're going to look at it. That Essentially, they're repealing an FIA decision uh, which they protested last night and other people in the FIA then had to look at it and go, we think that's okay. So now they have to go even further up in the FIA kind of uh, appeal process to say, you know, we think people further down the chain have made an error here. It's hard to overturn. It's a bit like VAR or, you know, um, in DRS in cricket, you know, when when it's got to be conclusive evidence to overturn a decision that the umpire's given. And I don't know that they're going to have enough conclusive evidence um they'll have their interpretation they can argue that it just it just seems wrong but for the reasons that the race director has given uh overnight for why he made the decisions he did um i think it becomes more of a judgment call and people will just disagree with it Uh, and that'll be that so i think they'll eventually step away because it'd be so it'd be even more anticlimactic if somehow mercedes got overturned in in the court of appeal in two three four weeks and lewis hamilton's crown champion in january i mean that's no good either that's why nobody wins out of this now which is the, the sad part
1: hmm. it's been quite remarkable though isn't it like in terms of like i know the the netflix show um catapulted it to a whole new followings but it's just captivated the audience all around the world right has, has it been bigger formula
2: one than what it currently is um no i think i think formula one is biggest right now i think you're right um I think, you know, there's there's been times where it's been very popular, but not always globally. Uh, And that's normally driven by something like we've had this year, where it is a big rivalry between two drivers. But what things like you mentioned, the the Netflix series have helped to do is kind of open up people's understanding and awareness of the the bigger picture of the sport, of the teams that aren't at the front, but why they're not at the front, of the cool stories that are there um, and of the other battles that are going on. So um, last night was all about uh, Lewis and Max and, and winning the world championship. And the fact that they went in tied on points, I the second time ever it's happened, was was incredible. But at other times this year, we just had awesome events and races that involve other people that uh, fans and new fans are kind of passionate about, like Daniel Ricciardo winning uh, the Italian Grand Prix. McLaren were the only team to score a one-two all year. Like Red Bull and Mercedes didn't even manage to do that. So uh, those sorts of things where people engage with that a bit better uh, has helped grow the fan base as well, I think. So... Um, yeah, it's come at a time when the sport is absolutely booming, and it, it has been awesome to be a part of and to watch. Um, but it did feel like everybody was watching. Yet yeah, on Sunday night, uh, Monday morning, for you guys, or or at the very least, they were wanting to know what happened and to not be just talking about something that was purely sporting and what happened between the drivers and and, and for the the way it was officiated. Uh, I just think is really sad at this at this point. Mm.
3: All right, all right. Who are the biggest? Is it going to be some big movers over over the off season? We're going to see some teams, um, you know, get some new drivers and you know, uh, ask, you know, young players come in. I know we were big, we spoke to you about Liam Lawson, but we're we going to see any big movers over the off season?
2: Yeah, there's a little bit going on. It, it all kicks off actually tomorrow. So I'm still in Abu Dhabi right now, um, waiting for my yacht invite. But uh, if that doesn't come, then tomorrow and Wednesday is testing um, for the tires for next year. And all the driver moves that have been agreed kind of happen instantly. So George Russell, who was at Williams, young up-and-coming British driver, who's really, really talented, uh, is replacing Valtteri Bottas at Mercedes. So he's going to go and try and route Lewis Hamilton's cage in the same car, which will be really interesting to see. And he'll drive for Mercedes over the next two days. So that's his kind of like first official bit of work with them as a full-time racing driver. Uh, Bottas goes to Alfa Romeo, replacing Kimi Räikkönen, who's left. who was a bit of a legend of the sport, but um, was ready to retire in, in his 40s. Um, Guan Yu Zhou will be Bottas's teammate, Alfa Romeo, and he's the first Chinese driver we've ever seen in F1. So that will probably increase uh, the interest. And he's a race winner in the category below. He's raced, you know, Liam Lawson this year um, in Formula Two, and and he's won races. So um, he's a handy driver. He's he's probably not the best young driver that was available. I mean, Oscar Piastri dominated and won the F2 championship, and really should be on the grid. But he has to wait his turn for another year. But that'll be a cool storyline to see what Oscar does during the winter and. Um, basically he'll be waiting in the wings in case there's an opportunity and then um Red Bull have actually kind of managed to get another driver onto the grid again Alex Albon who used to race for them and got dropped at the end of 2020 is now going to Williams to replace George Russell as he moves up to Mercedes so um he's back on the grid which will be cool to see as well so yeah some some exciting drivers coming in on that front and we we get to see a few of them uh, this week which is uh, going to be good fun and then it's not long at all. I think someone said it's 95 days till the first practice session of the first race next year. So um, th- we'll be <laughs> we'll be basically seeing new cars and get, and going testing again to like build up to it in like less than two months, which is crazy. That's hardly any time to catch your breath.
1: Yeah, that's right. Crikey, hey Chris, we're going to let you go, mate. But we really appreciate you taking our call. We know you've been extremely busy and, uh, and right in the in the thick of uh, all the action over there and and uh it's always a pleasure to chat to you mate hopefully we get you on again soon enjoy Abu Derby, and um as I say try and catch a little bit of a break before you get stuck into things again but thanks heaps for joining us mate
2: no worries I really enjoyed it it was a, a lot of fun and um yeah if I don't speak to you guys before I have, have a great Christmas enjoy your little summer break you guys got lined up ah, yes thanks
1: Chris champion
2: Chris Meadlin what an mm-hmm. absolute champion eh
1: he's quick he's quick what a day did you hear that little, Jeez, hear that little got, quip about the oh. yacht? He's waiting for his yacht. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: And how the how about you added in a few of uh, Craig Davis' little bangers into your little qu- questioning there, mate? It was very clever from you. Walk away. Yeah, huh? I was
1: going to leave him with uh, hope you don't get insomnia as well, but I thought that might be a little bit too much. So I sort of, you know, <laughs> you don't, you don't, you don't want to just sort of go too far on the old jokes, do you? Anyway, we are going to shoot off for a little bit of a break. We'll be back on the other side. We are going to talk about, well, 16 straight wins, five group ones, about $18 million in prize money and back-to-back Hong Kong miles
3: half lucky express golden 60s looking for room vendor to his inside vincent gets him out now and here he comes denon kingley gets up the rail golden 60 they roar
1: for their hometown hero he's a length clear over salios running on mother earth
3: it's golden 60 the locals can't beat him the internationals can't beat him this is his house fortress golden 60
1: Oh, what a call, too. There is a very good case we made that no horse around the world could touch Golden 60 over the mile distance. A lot of tried, tried and failed. The man who knew he was just a little bit special before anyone else, he has an eye for this sort of stuff. at Sam Beetson, Riversley Park, Bloodstock, and he sold Golden 60 along with his wife, Hannah, Back in 2017 at the ready-to-run sale, a piece of business which gets more and more incredible every time Golden Sixties salutes. Sam's on the line now. He joins us. Sammy, good morning, mate.
4: Good morning, guys.
1: Gee, you must be pretty proud watching this fella continue to break all those records up there, eh?
4: Yeah, no, it's huge. I think a huge result uh, last Sunday for him to do that again against the internationals. It sort of sets him on that world stage now, doesn't it?
1: Sure does He's just an absolute superstar, and end. mate, try and I guess give us a little bit of an insight into, like, how you came across him as a colt, and and what you looked for, and well, what you looked for in him, and and what you saw, and 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 why you, you went went down that route.
4: Well, I bought him. Me and Ben Foot, uh headed over to the Gold Coast sale, the January sale, which a lot of the guys look for the real early two-year-old running horses, and uh, we sort of tried to look for a horse that wasn't going to be that uh, real two-year-old type that we sort of might see a bit of value, and, and that was, that's where we come across him. He was a later foal. He was very athletic, but he wasn't sort of that real Ford two-year-old type, and he had a hell of a pedigree on him, which we find it hard to, to buy for us to make margins on when we sell them, so he sort of fell in the category um, of what we could buy and what we could afford with, with, a, with a huge pedigree, and I love the stallion Medagliadoro, the Dagliadoro, um, and so that's how we ended up with him.
3: Mate, does when you when you're looking back, and, and did, was there something that makes you think now, hey, mate, it's Izzy here anyway. Sorry, brother. It's um. But when you look yeah. back, is there something that you can picture or you can see that that kind of makes you understand? Okay, this was always going to be a great horse, and get the results it's getting at the moment.
4: Oh, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to put your finger on. He was a, he was athletic, um, very athletic, and he did everything. He did everything so easy. But to be a superstar like he is, it's uh, you know, you never know how big their heart is, and if they're going to, even if they're going to cope with uh, um, going to Hong Kong and acclimatise up there. So, I, I knew, I knew he was, you know, he was, he was uh, going to be a good horse. But to go to those sort of heights, um, I don't think anyone could really pick that.
3: And has it been great for your stable and great for your marketing tool having a horse that's done so well on the world stage? That just done you just so much um, positive in, in the end.
4: Yeah, huge, huge for Riversley Park. Like we've sold a lot of good horses in the past, and uh, and had a lot of good horses through the stables. You know, we've, we've had Melbourne Cup winners and Derby winners and Oaks winners, and you know they are all you know very good horses. But nothing like Golden Sixty, and especially because we uh, we bought them, produced them, and sold them um, under the Riversley Park banner. It's uh, it's huge. Yeah. Like it's great, great for marketing, and like it puts our farm on the map. You know, too.
1: Oh, it sure does. <laughs> you mentioned Oaks winners and. Melbourne Cup winners, all. Golden Sixty, it's Dundell, Prince of Penzance, Lucia, Valentina, Furlax, Eleonora, Francoleta. We're going to run out of time if we keep going here. But Sophia Rosa, Ugo Foscola, Nicoletta Delcello, Infantry, Sarenchino, yeah. Adrosan, Brando. The list just keeps going on and on and on and on. It must just give you an immense amount of confidence when you go to the sales to buy horses that that you're that you have something you have an eye which which others don't, and also your ability to as a horseman to be able to turn them into something which is a, is a fantastic product moving forward.
4: Mm, yeah, so a lot of those horses we didn't actually buy. We just broke in and pre-trained and produced through the stable. The um, few of them we'd bought and so on. So, but I think it's been one great asset is that we have a lot of good horses through the stables and you get an eye for for what horses do turn out to be okay um, and do a lot of riding and things myself and, and, and been around the sales with a lot of great judges. So it's sort of just been all experience um, over the 10 years and just uh, learning, learning each each sale you go to. So um, I don't think everyone's got a little bit of a different opinion. So you take things off people you, you think uh, or you, well, you know do a great job. And um, as it turned out, you know, we've sort of we've actually bought and sold a lot of good horses over the last sort of five years. So, um, yeah, the system seems to be working.
3: Oh, so me, me and Bears. I'm, I'm, an amateur, but I've, I've gone, gone in a couple, a wee bit of a share in a horse and at the ready to run sales, yeah. mate. Lot twenty five and what are our chances, oh, well. mate? Golden 60, 18 million bucks. What do you reckon, chances?
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, pretty slim. Um, yeah, he's in a, life, he's in a lifetime, isn't he? Um, I thought, I thought Tundell might have been the best horse I'd had through the stables. I thought it was he would be a hard horse, to even Top to say, you know that we've broken in and that, um, but yeah, you know, I think Golden Sixty surpassed him. Um, geez, there's no rules to the game. That's I think that's what makes it so good. Um, there's a lot of good judges mm. and they get it wrong plenty of the time. Um, so yeah, when you get a good one like that, I think you've just got to you know accept that the next one isn't going to be as good because you know, the chances are, well, there's, the percentages to get another one like that's going to be huge.
1: Mm. <laughs> hey. Um... The, the process you just mentioned breaking in, the process for all all the listeners out there as well of breaking horses in, uh, can you just explain us to us a little bit about how you educate the horses to get them to that state?
4: Um, yeah, so the sort of break in process we, we work off with um, a lot of the sale horses, we can do a little bit quicker because they've had a lot more education, but at the moment we've got a lot of store horses. Uh, Basically, just to get a roller and a bit in their mouth and get them used to sort of a little bit of pressure on the on the mouth, and then we do a little bit of long reining. We don't do too much, just to get get a little bit of steering. Um, but don't, I don't like over long reining them, so we probably only do it three or four times and, and and just lean over their backs until we're happy to put a saddle on them, um, which is generally within sort of a week to ten days. And uh, we don't put them under too much pressure the first few days; just let them go around and get them in the round yard and trotting and cantering and cantering beside each other in the round yard. And when they're sort of nice and relaxed, we head out around the home track. Um, Same thing, if they're going real good around there in a week, they they go on the truck and head into Cambridge Track for a look around. So most of it's all done within sort of four weeks, four to five weeks, Um, walking them backwards and forwards through the barriers and and things like that. Like, uh, obviously, they're all a little bit different, so you've got to be a bit slow with others and some you can push a bit quicker. Um, but it seems, it seems to work. Obviously, the staff you have around you is a great help because um, it's not a it's not an easy job. But but um, you just got to have a, a lot of patience and just sit back and, and think about the horse a little bit. And it seems to it seems to work out.
1: Beautiful. Well, we're going to let you go, Sammy. But before we do, I know that. Uh that you'll have a keen eye on, on some of the horses going to the races. Have you got any tips for us, mate? <laughs> Anything that you can steer us into?
4: <laughs> any tips? I didn't go that good last week, so I struggled away. <laughs> um, oh, jeez, all my own horses are, are battling away, but, uh, I don't know, packing rock star in the railway, maybe? Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. Like I, I like think
4: that. It'll be hard I to like do. that get, one, Sammy. He'll get in on a Packed bit of light. Did you get on uh, there? Oh, I haven't haven't yet, but uh, the the trainer's pretty happy with him. I'm I, uh, I'm beside him in the types at Cambridge track and see the horse every day and he's a he's a bit of a beast. here. Yeah, we missed him last weekend. I had Brando in the race and I thought it was uh, all set up for him to win, but uh, he's getting gelded. I think he might have already been gelded by now.
1: Oh, the ultimate gear change. Two-stone lighter, eh? Mm. I've got a couple of fellas yeah. I used to play cricket with could do it the same, to be fair. Hey, um, <laughs> yeah, right. mate, uh, we really appreciate <laughs> you joining us here on Baz and Izzy for breakfast. Absolute champion. Runs a great system there at Riversley Park as well and a wonderful horseman. And we look forward to catching up for a beer, mate. And a and, uh, big thank you for joining us. Sounds Geez.
4: good. Awesome. Thanks, guys. See you, bye.
1: Legend. As Sam Beetson from Riz, Riversley Park a wonderful horseman and uh, he has been involved and in, well, he's made an indelible mark really on on the the uh, the equine game here in New Zealand with some of the horses which have been through his barn and and uh, there'll be many more to come too so keep following him. He's actually great to be able to walk around the sales with mate um like go through mm. go to cracker there and and have a wander around at the Yelling sales and and just sort of look at some of the horses which he's picking out and, and he's just got a, a really awesome eye as well so he's a good dude and him and his wife hannah run a great operation there too so thank you very much to sam beats for joining us here on bears and Izzy for breakfast <laughs>